Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. What I know now. What I know now. Now, whatever you do, don't start singing. I wish that I knew what I know now. You hear that, Pastor? It's going to have to have some counseling afterwards for that. Um, what I know now. If I only knew then what I know now. It's easy to say, it's uh, easy to think that. It's harder in the moment to, uh, to think ahead too far, but um, thank God for where he's brought me from and where I'm at today. If only I had known, I could have probably done some things a little differently. But the truth is, we didn't, and we didn't. We didn't, uh, we didn't know, and we, uh, we didn't... Uh, do things differently. So we have to learn from our mistakes. Um, we didn't. We didn't know, and uh, and we can't help what we don't know. And we can only gain knowledge from it, and try to learn from our mistakes. How many have learned from a few mistakes over the years? Um, we all know. It's been said uh, that father knows best, or is it mother? I can't remember which one. Maybe both. But I've, I've got, today I've got 20 things that, I, that my father has taught me. Um, number one, one thing that my father has taught me is that the best way to make chocolate milk is to slowly mix cocoa and sugar together in phases, pouring just a little bit of milk at a time until the glass is full. Add, stir, pour, stir, repeat until the glass is full. And that is the best way to make chocolate milk. Um, number two uh, of things that my father has taught me uh, is that sorghum molasses is a southern delicacy. Anybody had sargs? I don't even know how to say it. Sargum? Sorghum? Oh, I, I, you have to say it with the proper. Uh, <laughs> um, number three, he taught me the value of cereal. And, and I uh, still have the habit um, in the evenings when it's sitting on your stomach overnight, which is terrible. Uh, he also taught me, number four, that HVAC service is a fantastic industry to get into. Uh, and number five, he, he said if he started an HVAC business, he could make a lot of money. Number six thing that he taught me was there's a lot of money in HVAC. You should really think about it. So, Jeff, you may be onto something. Um, number seven, he taught me how to change an air filter, and I learned that the hard way uh, a few years back when I um, got I hadn't changed it in so long, and it, and it just um, you know completely ruined or clogged the coil with dust and and all that, and my my uh, system wasn't working the way it should. And maybe I should have gone into HVAC work. I would have known. I should have known. Um, number eight taught me how to ride a bike. There were a lot of scrapes and bruises 
that were acquired on both Broadway and Condit Street. Um, number nine, he taught me how to drive a stick with that beautiful old Camaro that's sitting in the garage still. He taught me how to tie a tie. Um, he taught me how to sing high-pitched. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, <laughs> there it is. Uh, he taught me how to procrastinate about jogging. That's number 12. Number 13, he taught me how to play golf, although the student has become the teacher. Um, number 14, he taught me to say, uh, when hearing a curse word in a movie and <laughs> saying it two or three times and then turning it off. Ah, uh, we need to turn this off. <laughs> it's PG, Dad. Um, he taught me the phrases, and these are unique, little crumb crunchers <laughs> and hold on to your little hats. <laughs> I don't know where he picked that up, but I remember it well. Little crumb crunchers and hold on to your little hats. Um, he taught me how to be a good husband. Uh, he taught me how to be a good friend and uh, how to be present with my kids, how to pray, and how to be a Christian in a lost world. I'm thankful for what my dad's taught me. Um, I stand here today more knowledgeable than I used to be, and a product of all my collective experiences over time, but to sit on what I know, and um, it really doesn't help anyone. Knowledge has to be used, it has to be shared. And so um, I have started teaching my kids a few things. So here are 20 things that I'm teaching my children. Number one, pink isn't a good color. I've lost that battle in my house. But number two, <clears throat> the best way to make chocolate milk is to slowly mix cocoa and sugar together in phases, pouring just a little bit of milk at a time until the glass is full. Add, stir, pour, stir, repeat. Uh, number three, I've been teaching my children that peanut butter is a worldwide delicacy. Uh, number four, the value of cereal, of course. Number five, I've been teaching my children that design is a fantastic industry to get into. Uh, number six, if I started a design business, I could make a lot of money. Number seven, design is very reward rewarding. You should really think about it. Uh, number eight, how to ride a bike. And Nori, we're almost there. Number nine, how to make a variety of noises with your mouth. I hear that's a firstborn thing. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, number 10, how to procrastinate about a variety of things. Number 11, how to play golf. And they played with me yesterday. Um, number 12, how uh, uh, teaching them to love baseball. They've got their favorite players. Uh, number 13, how to pause and turn off all the garbage that is infiltrating all of our kids' content these days. <laughs> it goes beyond the, uh. Um, <laughs> number 14, I've taught them the phrases, you little shrimp kebabs. 
and hold on to your little baby hats. I added baby into the, <laughs> to the phrase. And that, that phrase can really expand beyond that. You can hold on to your little microscopic hats. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways you can go with it. Um, and then number 15, how to be an average or above average spouse. Trying daily to be a better one. Number 16, how to be present with their future kids. Number 17, how to be a decent friend. Number 18, how to pray. Number 19, to love ministry. And number 20, how to keep trying to be a Christian. We're all children of God. And how do we know that we're children of God? Well, Luke 12, 7 talks about just how much God knows us and just how well he knows who we are. Luke 12, 7 says, But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Jeremiah 1, 5 says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctify thee and I ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. This is the kind of God who knows us intimately. Psalm 139, 1 through 4, and then 13 through 14 says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me, and you know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my, uh, my thought afar off. You comprehend uh, my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. We are children of God. He saw us ahead of time. He knew us before we were born. And you know, it can be intimidating to walk in the footsteps of those who have gone before us. Uh, we can become fearful of, of not living up to the example that they set. Um, I have a legacy of many great men that have, men and women that have followed before me that I have to fill those, those shoes. Um, I have to walk in those footsteps. And it's, it's a big task at times. Um, while not all of us may want to be like our earthly fathers, and, and there are a range of different outcomes in fatherhood, but we can all find commonality in wanting to be like our heavenly father. So what if I can't live up to the name? What if I can't be what everybody expects me to be? What if I can't hold up to the standard that's been set? Uh, people hold us to, up to the name of Jesus every single day, and it's more so apparent than ever before on social media where we have to a lot of times defend our position and defend ourselves. And, and there's times where um, I, I remember a while back I, I made a, a joking comment about, uh, about a, a sports team, a baseball team that uh, I was kind of just teasing about their fan base, all in good-hearted fun, and people just viciously started attacking me. Uh, it was Philadelphia. Their fans are terrible. Um, but... Uh, they they just went right to right to my uh, my social media accounts 
saw that I was involved in at Landmark Worship Center, started blasting, oh, you're a Christian and you're saying all this. And, you know, just trying to be funny, trying to be have some humor. Um, but, you know, that if we put ourselves out there, we say that we're the children of God. There's times we're going to have to defend ourselves. We're going to have to uh, sometimes uh, live up to uh, this, the example that's uh, held before us. And I believe that Christians are held to one of the highest standards, and for good reason, because we preach love and we, we preach truth and we preach all these things and we talk about loving our brother as ourself and all of this stuff. And so there's good reason that we're, hold, we're held to a high standard, but um, they hold us up to the character, characteristics of God, up to his words, up to his actions. And that's normal being the children of God. We're supposed to be like him. But Jesus dealt with an identity crisis of sorts uh, in John 10 when the Jews couldn't quite figure out who he was. You know, um, in John 10, 24, it says, Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt if thou be the Christ? Tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name they bear witness of me. In other words, what I do should be a pretty good example of who my father is. I should be pretty much synonymous with my father because of the works that I'm doing. But, of course, people doubted him. They didn't believe who he said he was. And, and it was obviously a big uproar at the time. Um, but he, he uh, clarifies it again in verse 30 where he says, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones against, again to stone him. They were so angry, comparing himself to God, that they took up stones to try to kill him. And it says, going down to verse 37, 37 and 38, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. If I'm not living up to it, if I'm not acting like my Father, if I'm not uh, living out the life that I portray, then, um, then yes, you can doubt me all you want. Um, but, he, but then he says, but if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Essentially, Jesus is saying here, what I do and how I act should be proof enough of who my Father is. I've, I, I know it well living in a pastor's home. You live up to a certain standard. People hold you accountable to who your parents are, who your father is. And that, that's fine. It comes with the territory. You learn to, to, uh, to know how to deal with it. But this was tough for the Jews to hear, that, and they just didn't believe him. Um, but it's as if he gave them a test to gauge the truth for themselves. If I don't act like my father, then don't follow me or don't believe me. This happened again in uh, four chapters later with his own disciple, Philip. In John uh, 14, 7 through 12, it says, If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the father, and it sufficeth uh, us. Jesus said unto him, have I, so long, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how saith, thou, how saith thou then, show us the Father? 
Believest thou not that I am the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. And then finally, in verse 11 and 12, it says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Again, what, are my, what do my works speak? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. He wasn't talking about himself here, saying, greater works am I going to do. Um, greater works has my Father already done. He's saying, greater works will you do if you follow in my footsteps. Jesus was showing his association with the Father through his actions. Ideally, uh, we will do greater things than what our fathers did. Every father would hope for that, uh, that we would become more successful, that we become better, that we could be a greater Christian. All of these things are hopes that a good father would have for his children. The hope in fatherhood is that children supersede us, that they go further than we could ever go. And when we start acting like our Father, people will notice. But what happens when we don't? I thought it was appropriate today in that song that we used, uh, that we were singing, that it said the word perfect. And, and that we don't have to be perfect, and that we don't have to uh, be um, flawless or infallible. Where am I right now represents an equal distance between what I know and what I don't know. If you could use me as a metaphor today for your own self, my father represents what I have yet to learn, and my children represent where I've come from and what I know now. But I will always be one step behind, except for golf, behind my dad in knowledge and wisdom. I didn't put in their physical abilities. But I will always be one step behind my father in knowledge and wisdom. And constantly um, desiring to know what he knows and to live as wisely as he does. But I'm not there yet and we're not there yet trying to live as our father does to know what he knows, to be as wise as he is. So what does it look like to be perfect, to hold myself up to my father's example, the bar that's set so high by my not only earthly father in some cases, but my heavenly father, that uh, what does it look like to hold the standard of perfection that Jesus set? In Matthew 5, it says uh, when the... When the writer is drawing the contrast between loving and hating your enemies, he tells us to love our enemies, to bless them that curse you, to pray for them that despitefully use you. He finally tells us in verse 48 of Matthew 5 to be perfect. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Well, that sounds pretty easy, just be perfect. And... You know, uh, if we were all perfect, then everything would be easy and we could 
love those that hate us and we could bless those that curse us and we could do all those things that it's telling us to do. But what does that word perfect actually mean? We talked a little bit about the word perfection um, in Bible study here on Wednesday, but um, did the writer want us to, to never make a mistake, to be infallible like God is? No. Perfection in the Bible is synonymous with completion of mission or calling. The Greek word for perfect in this context is teleo. And the definition means, means to bring to an end, to complete, perfect. Ephesians 4.13 through 15 says, it uses that same word perfect again. It says, till we all come into the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Fullness, the word perfect, the word fullness of Christ. It all seems to be pointing to this um, ideal scenario, this perfect being that we're trying to uh, align ourselves up with and trying to attain this level of perfection that just doesn't seem to be able to be possible. And verse 14 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Thank God that I know what I know now. That I don't have to be um, tossed about with the every wind of doctrine. Um, I can faithfully and, and, and uh, confidently say that I know uh, who God is and, and what he wants for me and, and I can confidently say that God is real and all of these things that I can confidently say because I've matured in my relationship with God and I've grown and I've learned a few things over the years. But speaking, in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Grow up into him. It would be great if we could all grow up to be just like our father. You know, I think in the, the 50s there was that idyllic image of the perfect husband standing out on his lawn, fully dressed in a suit, mowing the grass. Uh, today, um, things have changed. But speaking the truth in love may grow, in, grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So first it's telling us to, um, until we all come into the unity of the faith, like it's this thing that we're trying to reach and to attain, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, I'm going to try to become like him in every way, be perfect, be all of these things. That's what it sounds like it's saying here. But it says grow up into him in all things. What did Jesus give us to accomplish this um, so-called perfection? Ephesians 4:11 through 12, just a few verses before that, um, it talks about, uh, it says that, and he gave us uh, some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For the, there's that word again, the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The perfecting of the saints. 
Again, it sounds like that the standard that we have to hold is unattainable, that I can't make it, I can't get there, there's no way. But first of all, in this passage, it's telling us that until we come to the unity of the knowledge of, of the Son of God unto a perfect man, and that we need to grow up into him in all things, and that we're not perfect yet, but we have these things in place that the Bible has placed in front of us in the church body, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and that list is even expanded beyond that. There's, um, there's all kinds of different gifts and ministries, ministry of helps, which we've talked about a little bit too. Um, all of these things meant to, uh, for the perfecting of the saints. God created a plan knowing what he knows that would help us to reach the fulfillment of our mission on this earth. John 19 and 28 through 30 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it on his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. What's interesting about that word, or about that phrase, it is finished, is that that word, or that phrase, it is finished, is translated from the Greek word teleo. The definition of teleo is to bring to an end, to complete, or fulfill. Be perfect as your father is perfect, Matthew 5 says. The perfecting of the saints in Ephesians 4, and it is finished in John 19, all come from the same root word, teleos, to fulfill or complete. So what does walking in the footsteps of my father look like? Is it about perfection? Is it about being perfect? Is it about never making a mistake? Is it about always doing the right thing at all times? We beat up ourselves so badly all the time because we don't live up to the standards that were set. We don't live up to our father's standard that was set. We don't live up to uh, those leaders uh, that, that we respect. We don't live up to their standards. We don't live up to any of that stuff. But this um, this word uh, perfect in the Bible and this word the perfecting of the saints and, and finally the words it is finished all mean the same thing so what does walking in the footsteps of my father look like walking in his footsteps and pursuing perfection is less about being infallible and more about being missional that I have a purpose for my life God doesn't expect perfection in the sense that we understand it. He just wants obedience and trust. And who better knows that than Job? Job 23, 9 through 11 says, On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. 
My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. You see, it's not about um, being greater than God was. It's about following in his footsteps, leading to a place of your own personal sacrifice. Leading us to a place of our own personal ministry and mission in the church. We are called not to be perfect as he was perfect, but called to follow in the footsteps to reach completion of our mission on earth. We are called to purpose, to do greater works than our father did. And there's nothing sadder than all the good done by one generation dying off in the next. It's a shame whenever you see it, a family that maybe has lived for God for their whole life and a generation decides to walk away, leaving their family with a, a void in their relationship with God. Thank God that I know what I do know now. Thank God that I'm not who I used to be or what I used to be. In our journey to follow God's will, we don't have to know it all. We have to just trust the one who does. He already went before us. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, in verse 3, as I bring this to a close, that he was acquainted with grief. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This isn't a story about a father that had it all laid out for him. It was all perfect. Everything went according to plan. This was a story of a father who knew exactly where you're at right now. Acquainted with the grief that you're acquainted with. He felt your pain. He understood rejection. He understood what it was like to stand for something and then have everyone uh, turn their back on you, make fun of you, talk bad about you. He understood all of that. His own family walked away from him. This is the God and the Father who goes before us. It walked that journey before we ever walked it. Knew us in our mother's womb. Formed us, shaped us, created us to be who we are. God knew us. Walked that path. He didn't want to just come to earth and be this um, celestial being that just hovered around and floated around everywhere. But he was flesh and blood and bone. And, and, and he understood our pains and our frustrations. Jesus was a carpenter. He probably got splinters. He probably hit his finger with a hammer a couple times. He understood us and came to show us the way forward. Our Father knows best because our Father lived it. Paul, it's not easy being a first-generation apostolic. But look at the legacy that you'll leave your children. Raymond, thank you for helping to raise those kids in the truth. Keep doing what you're doing. Sister Juwan, 
I know you pray for your kids. Thank you for being a good example to them. Jeff, thank you for uh, being a great dad. And uh, walking in your dad's footsteps. We all have these stories of where God's brought us from. If we could stand today. But the bottom line is that what we do next starts with us. We could abandon the path that God has laid before us. We could walk away from it. Dad, thank you for preaching truth. Thank you to just every single one of you that just decided that they were going to walk the path that was hard, difficult, that you were going to go to places that, that were tough and hard to, to do. A lot of people you had to confront and deal with. But thank you. Brother Tucker, thank you. Thank you for raising your kids in the truth. Thank you, Grandma, for being a missionary and going overseas, giving it all up. Can we just close our eyes today and begin to talk to God? Jesus, we pray today, God, that you would help us to understand the path forward. It's not about perfection. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being exactly like those that went before us, but following and trusting in you. Trusting God and who you've called us to be and trying to live up to that calling. People will notice, people will notice when you start following Jesus, things look different. You start to look like your dad, start to look like your father. People will point it out, people will notice it. But there's no better, no greater calling than to be called into the mission of the kingdom of God. Can we come to the front of this auditorium today and in a sign and a symbol of giving ourselves completely to the mission and the calling that God has placed on us? God, I can't do it alone. This journey's tough. And at times it's difficult. But God, I need you. I need your guidance, Jesus. I need you, God. 